The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 165 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. I want to thank some new reviewers on Apple Podcasts. We had three new five-star reviews, and our listeners were uh, Sons Only, Second Chances 94, and Krista Aston. Thank you so much for your five-star reviews and your kind words. We so greatly appreciate it. Uh, My guest on the show this week, Kristen Jensen, has become a new hero of mine. She is doing such incredible work in helping to protect young minds from pornography. And she is just fascinating. And I learned so much about this insidious, just horrible thing that is pornography. Uh, A little bit of a heads up. It is a very frank discussion, obviously nothing inappropriate, but a very frank discussion about pornography. It's really important and definitely one that you're going to want to hear. And uh, this week, coming up in my Latter-day life, uh, having a little bit of fun while changing the conversation. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, here on the Latter-day Lives podcast, I am thrilled to have as my guest, she is an author, a speaker, and a woman with a mission in life. She knows her cause and is doing such great work. Kristen Jensen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. It's so great to be here with you. I'm thrilled to have you on. I was so excited to, to get you here. We have not actually met before, so I'm super excited to hear your life story. And I have so many questions about the work that you do. But first of all, we want to get to know you, Kristen. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. I grew up in a couple of different places. So uh, my parents were divorced. Uh, My mother was a Latter-day Saint. My father was not. So started out my life in Cheyenne, Wyoming, Mm. going to Frontier Days and, you know, (laughs) playing cowgirl and doing all that kind of stuff. And then my mother remarried and... We moved back east. We moved to Boston mm, area, I love the area Boston. around Boston. Yeah, um, ended up in Arlington, Arlington, and so there was this little girl from Cheyenne. In I mean, you couldn't get two more different cultures really <laughs> in true. the United States if you tried. Yeah. I just don't think you can. So I grew up in Cheyenne and I grew up near Boston. Loved both places. And um, had, you know, lots of really interesting experiences. For one, uh, if, I, if I'm allowed to name drop, please, um, our stake president was Richard Bushman, the really? author of Rough Stone Yeah, Rough Stone Rolling. Rolling. Yeah, one of my favorite books. historian. Beautiful. Yeah. That's really cool. And then also in our ward was Clayton Christensen. Clayton Christensen. Wow. Of, uh, and also, let's see, there I can name several, but Mitt Romney, Mitt and Ann Romney were there. <laughs> and I babysat for her, for their kids um, on occasion. I That's wasn't amazing. their main babysitter, but I was <laughs> one of them. <laughs> so we had an interesting 
group of people there. Um, gotcha. When I was growing up. So that was a great influence on yeah. my life. So you did um, grow up, you grew up in the church. Well, I did and I didn't. My mother was not active in the church, but through a series of amazing miracles, I would say, uh, we did, my my younger sister and I went to church. Um, like my mom had a boss who was LDS and he and his wife would uh, pick us up and, and, and take us to their, uh, their house every Monday night. And we had the missionary lessons so that my sister could get baptized. Mm. And so that was when I was very young. And I decided then that I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to serve a mission. Anyway, we went to church, but it was just my sister and I, my mother didn't go and no one else went with us. So yeah, I wanted to go on a mission. I ended up going to BYU Mm. in Provo, got a degree, eventually figured out I wanted a degree in English. Were you always into English? Because I, you know, we're going to talk about your books in a minute. Yeah. Did you always dream of being an author or writer of some kind? Kind of, but not really. I wanted to be a scientist. Hmm. But then I almost flunked Chem 105 at BYU. (laughs) And that's when you realized maybe chemistry is not for you. (laughs) Maybe, maybe I need a change of plans. Yeah, and I had a friend at this at, at the time who said, "Kristen, live the contemplative life and be an English major." Wow, I <laughs> like that. Major. So I'm like, okay, that sounds good. Anyway, so I got a degree in in English literature, which a lot of people think is completely worthless, but it taught me to think. It taught me to write, and that I those are all beautiful. good things. Did you know what you were going to do with it? Did you did you have an idea for here's no. how I'm going to use this? No, I was like the worst. <laughs> I had no clue. I think that's I, awesome. I had no clue, but I did want to go on a mission. So I put in my papers and got called to serve in Portugal. Wow. So, um, and and the cool thing is, is that I'd actually studied Portuguese because I'd met someone from Brazil. I love the language. So I went on this mission to Portugal, loved it. But Portuguese in Portugal is very different than Portuguese in Brazil. I've so heard that. it's kind of like if you took Portuguese and married it with German, mm. then you would get the Portuguese from Portugal. The Portuguese are really wonderful, warm people. Mm. Okay. They don't slam doors in your face. They are very nice. Now, they may lie to you and tell you a wrong address so that you won't actually come to their home to teach them a lesson, but they're very nice about it, right? So I never had any issues there, and I I came to really love the Portuguese people. And there were a lot of uh, refugees from Africa that Mm. we were able to teach, and they did seem to be a little more open because... Uh, well, they were just going through a horrendous experience because they had, you know, survived some pretty horrific um, things in Angola, sure. and Mozambique. So uh, that was a wonderful experience. So many funny stories from um, Portugal, like how one time when they were, I was in this little branch and they were uh, passing the sacrament, but they really 
took seriously the idea that the priesthood, the boys with the priesthood pass the sacrament. So they wouldn't let a woman take the sacrament tray and pass it down. Oh my gosh. <laughs> In this one little place. There was just this one little place that had yeah. this issue, right? And uh, the food was great. The people were really loving. And you know, one one thing that as a young person there, uh, the Portuguese would say, uh, Jesus came to teach us to suffer. And we would laugh about that, you know, mm. at the time. We're like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, uh, we thought that was kind of like just so Portuguese in that um sense because they there was a there was a certain sadness uh i guess they called it like saudades they called it like a you know a nostalgia for the past and so but you know what later on in my life i came to realize that they were so right because they had suffering in their lives and jesus did come and he did teach us how to suffer he did teach us how to get through things really hard things, you know, with grace and with hope and with faith. And so the things that I kind of rolled my eyes at, because I was just too young and dumb to recognize, you know, the truth in that, in what they would say, I came to appreciate later on in my life um, as, you know, I continue to suffer <laughs> and have things happen. So sure. Um, I learned a lot from them. Yeah. I, I just, Sounds like a great experience. Yeah. So you come home. Did you come back to BYU? I did. I came back to BYU. I couldn't even speak English, let alone <laughs> write it. I mean, honestly. Oh, yeah. I you've got to come back to do English. Don't, don't know what. And I remember sitting in a class because I purposely decided I'm not going to finish up my English degree before I leave because I want to have something to come back to. I, I did come back and sat there in this Shakespeare class or no, maybe it was, it was some, it wasn't even a Shakespeare class. It was just any, it was just some kind of English class that I had to have to, to graduate. Mm. And I want you to take any Shakespeare play and I want you to just write about it. I sat there. I could not remember a thing. <laughs> I mean, I remember now more than I did that at the moment I was just sitting there. So I told, I went up and I said, I just got off my mission. I can't even think in English yet. You said this <laughs> so, to your professor. Yeah. I said, I don't even, I can't even do this. I can't even write. And he's like, don't worry about it. Um, but you know, I ended up being able to, to do better uh, later on, but then I went and I got a master's degree in organizational communication. And so I decided that I wanted to work as a corporate kind of trainer or training, you know, like human resources and do yeah. training programs. And so teaching, but not teaching in a school. Sure. Because I thought I would be a terrible teacher. Yeah. I didn't think I had the huh. patience for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I got this degree. Did a summer in, in Washington, D.C., working for the Red Cross. And mm, cool. Um, that was interesting. And then uh, came back and getting ready to graduate, doing some interviews for various corporations. And I met my husband. Gotcha. And saw him. He gave a talk in sacrament meeting. And I listened to this talk and I was so impressed. 
because he talked about the symbolism of light and dark in the gospel of John. And I was just so like, oh my gosh, someone that really loves the scriptures and understands them. And I went up and I introduced myself and um, eventually we got married. So where did you guys end up moving? We moved to California, Mm. uh, the Bay Area, because that's where he was from. And so we lived there for 11 years, had our children there. When it came time to buy a house, <laughs> that's when we moved to Vallejo. Now, Vallejo is not known for... <laughs> Vallejo is known well, for one thing, and that is Marine World Africa, USA. <laughs> yes. yes, and we love that. We actually went there a lot. We moved into a newer development there. Growing up, that was the only thing you ever heard about Vallejo, and in fifth grade, we did a, uh, a field trip to Marine World. And I don't even know if Marine World's still open, but that's what Vallejo was really well known for. Yeah. Well, that and some other things that were not quite as positive. Well, yeah, maybe some things that are unsavory, but as far as we, we would things, say, we would say, we live at the mouth of the Napa Valley. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it with Vallejo. It's a beautiful place. We would place. joke with our, our fellow Vallejoans. Well, we we uh, we had our kids there, and then and we also had. So one of the things that was a major thing in my life was we had two children, and I was pregnant with a third, and our 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 youngest, our son, Lauren, uh, when he was eighteen months old, he fell in a bucket that had just a little bit of it was like a tub, you know, that that was outside that had just a little bit of rainwater in it. And it was a drought year. So that's the irony of this. Um, and he fell in and I had just gone inside to grab something um, for my husband, who was like in another part of the yard down a slope, planting some trees. And um, in that time, he basically drowned and, um, and we were able to get him to the hospital and we were doing, you know, resuscitation. A neighbor had come in and was helping us. And um, he had a lot of brain damage. He, in fact, they didn't know if he was going to survive. Mm. They came to us and said, are you willing to donate his organs? You know, if he doesn't oh. survive. And I'll tell you, that is, that's a tough thing to go from an hour before, you know, this, bubbly cherubic adorable little boy um and then now he's so terribly injured and um so that was a real difficult period of time and then I was also you know pregnant with my third and I started having problems with that pregnancy my son was in the hospital for almost six weeks and when he came home he was still in you know just um he had to feed him with, you know, tube fed. Mm. He wasn't swallowing very well. So we always had a suction machine trying to help him with that. It was, wow. it was pretty intense. And, but I have to say some of the most spiritual experiences of my life mm. were during that period wow. where I did not know how I could go one more day. Like you just, yeah. you don't know how you can like, go on. You really, it's you're pretty desperate when, um, and I know there are many parents out there that have ha- lost children 
that have, you know, had children injured and they know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. But the main thing I learned, well, not the main thing, there's so many things I learned, but that, you know, faith really is, um, is choosing to believe that God loves you even when you're suffering, like yeah. really suffering. And uh, there were times, though, that I felt I knew that God was right there with me and um, had so many uh, miracles happen. Um, now, the one miracle that we really wanted and prayed for was that he would have a miraculous recovery. I kept thinking, then I'll write an article for the Ensign, you know, and <laughs> yeah. we'll get that miracle story in there. Sure. Because, you know, back in the day, the Ensign published a lot of miracle stories, but it was yeah. it was mostly the stories of the great miracle that happened and everything turned out rosy, right? Right. And um, since then, I know they have changed. And and I love the story at this last conference, the Pacific Islands, and, you know, the rain stopped right. in three for, places. For three of the but places, in the fourth, but on the fourth, yeah. The fourth, it was raining. And yet, you know, do you have faith to, you know, sit in the rain and not have the sun come out, right? Yeah. So do you have faith to not have your prayers answered? And that sometimes I think takes greater faith uh, than when we get a nice quick miracle. Um, so Beautiful. we didn't get that. He he grew up, uh, but he was tube fed. He was in a wheelchair. He 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 did better than the doctors predicted. Because yeah. he did gain some ability to make some noises, to communicate some awareness of his surroundings and, and people. Wow. But And uh, he loved to hear music. But Lauren never did recover. Mm. He had a grandma seizure when he was 10 and a half and, and passed away. And so, mm. um, so that's, that's, uh, that part of my life was uh, pretty hard. I had my two girls. So I was trying to like, you can't just devote everything to one child. You have to spread it around and there's just not enough. So we did our best. And I just feel like Lauren fulfilled his mission and he's yeah. up there waiting for us and we'll, we'll be with him someday. Kristen, that is so much on a young mother. It's, it's one thing when, you hear it from other people. It sounds so valiant and so whatever, but in your own life, you know, it's, it's got to lead to a lot more questions than answers, I would think. But, you know, if you question in faith and if you look to God for help and you don't get bitter yeah, and you don't say, why me? That is one thing I don't think I ever, I never said, why me? Yeah. Um, but I did say, why him? Because he was such a sweet little boy yeah. that I I just wondered. But I, I also did get some clarification about that. I think the Spirit taught me a lot. Mm. And the one thing that I will say is that no matter your suffering, it will be to your benefit. Yeah. Now, I can make sense of my suffering now as an older person, whatever. But... 
a little child? How can an 18-month-old, 20-month-old baby, you know, make sense of his suffering? And I asked the Lord that, and, and what I got was, don't worry about that. Every bit of suffering will go to his benefit. It wow. will not be lost. It will not be lost. I I know that Heavenly Father is uh, watching over us. Yeah. He helps us through our trials. He's He's there for us. And no, and you can get through anything. You really can get through anything. Like one thing I did from the time he of his accident to the time my baby was born um, was I read the Book of Mormon, mm. and I had a certain number of pages, and I literally feel like that was a lifeline. Yeah, like literally a lifeline uh, to keep me going. So yay, Book of Mormon. <laughs> well, I think there's a, I, I, and that's a, it's such a great attitude to have. I think there's a specific pain to the loss of a child. I have not lost a child for which I'm very grateful, but bless you. Wow. That's a lot, Kristen. <laughs> uh, you've got a very different life situation then. Now it's, did you kind of go through a phase where you kind of had to relearn what your family was and what your life was from there? We moved up to Seattle because my husband was uh, got a job with Microsoft, and we lived there for 15 years. Mm. And during that time, so after my son died, it was just such a huge change. Like, yeah. I had to kind of find myself again. You know, when right. you're a caregiver, you just define yourself almost. And so... After he passed away, I actually decided to homeschool my kids for a couple of years mm. just to be able to give them like full time right. uh, mom time. I'm not sure they, they totally appreciated that. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Maybe they but, thought it was more uh, for but we mom had a good than time. <laughs> we had a good time and many times. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, I'm not sure I really was the best teacher. Uh, and uh, I'm sure you did great. Too, too tough on them with the English assignments, but did they you teach survived. them science? Wait, wait, I got to know. Did yes. you teach them science? Yes, you we taught them science because oh, my my good. husband's a science nerd, but and I also enrolled them in like a homeschool science class. And anyway, oh, they 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 did a lot. Of, in fact, my daughter, one of my daughters, is a scientist. She's a oh. like a legit biochemist. Then you, you're kind of moving on to this next phase in life. You know, you've kind of raised children. You're seeing them kind of uh, become their own people. And at some point, you take up the cause of helping uh, people learn how to avoid pornography. And this has become a big mission. So how did yeah. this all start? How did that start? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what happened, Sean. I told because I started to become aware of this problem with pornography and that people would get, you know, into it and even addicted to it, and it would cause all kinds of problems and marriages and divorces and, you know, job loss and on and on. And I remember thinking, oh, and I I said this, okay, there's just just a word to the wise, Sean. Don't do this. Don't do this. I said, Lord. I can't help you with that problem. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I can't go there. I just can't help you with that problem. Sorry. Okay. So I think, I think God takes it on as a personal challenge, you know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, 
anyway, so we left the Seattle area, moved to Eastern Washington. And when I was just, just here for a few months, I met a woman from my ward who told me this tragic story about her son, uh, her 17 year old son. They'd found out that he not only had he been looking at pornography, but he'd been uh, acting out on his younger brothers and sisters. And this was, you know, a very large family, Mm. that family that sits on the front row in church, not to, Mm. (laughs) not to implicate anyone that does that, but no, for sure. I I know what you're saying. It's it's never, it's not necessarily a family that you would expect to have issues. Nobody expects these issues. And, And the thing is, is it doesn't just happen to like, it happens to the strongest of families. So For sure. in any case, we talked, I woke up the next morning and, you know, I had no idea about doing anything like this, but I woke up the next morning and I had a very uh, strong prompting to investigate. How can children be warned about this, right? This problem of pornography and when they're young. So I thought, well, I'm just going to go look for a book to give to this woman, right. For her younger children and whatever. And I went online and I started looking and I could not find anything at the time. Mm. This was 2011. So I started to do some research and I kept thinking, why isn't there a book about this? I mean, it's such a huge problem. And the more people I talked to, the more I realized it was a big problem And it was a big problem with kids. So I thought, I'm going to write a children's book that will explain, you know, the brain science of pornography addiction and and, and try to help parents have this conversation with their kids so that they know what it is, they know why it's harmful, and they know what to do when they see it. So, you know, a definition that's age appropriate, a warning. So the kids know that it is dangerous and a plan. So they know exactly what to do when they see it. Well, this all sounds great, but I got into it and it took three years to accomplish this because I also didn't want to talk about sex during this thing. Right. I just wanted to talk about porn, which somehow I was able to do without talking about sex. Yeah, because I want I want parents to be able to read this book to their kids before, even before they had the sex talk, which I still, which I think parents should have earlier rather than later. Right, uh, it's so protective to do that. But anyway, so got here, started working on this um, project. So the new people here and my new people, the people that have known me since I moved here, they didn't know anything about my son or anything about my past life, what they know me as is the porn lady. Like, and I'm like, I'm not the porn lady. I'm the anti-porn lady. Come on. Like, give the me a break. Porn lady. I've had so, people come up to me in like the church parking lot. Aren't you the porn lady? <laughs> oh, no. Hey, look, if you're associated with it, you know, the title matters less. Oh, that's funny though. That's so funny. So this leads to the book, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And I am so grateful you sent me uh, a copy of your your two books. And 
your approach to good pictures, bad pictures is fantastic. So did you end up publishing it right away or did you just give it to friends? How did that start? Went through so many iterations and tested it and retested it and rewrote it. And and finally, after three years, it had to come out. So I actually self-published it with Mm -hmm. Amazon. I got one rejection from a publisher. After one rejection, I'm like, well, forget it. I'll do it myself. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So I'm not one of those people that like, I got 40 rejections. And finally on the 41st, you know, no, I'm, I'm a wimp. I'm a wimp with rejection. Can't handle it. So I just, I just, (laughs) I had started a blog, you know, and I just thought if it only helps my grandchildren, that's, you know, then it'll be all worth it. Right. And I, and so, and now I have two grandsons, so it's awesome. I didn't have at the time, but that's great. So yeah, published it, self-published it, just had so many people help me get the word out about it. Now we're on our second edition. And then a few years later had people ask me, several people, moms and dads, both come to me and say, can you write a book for younger children? Yeah. And I'm like, younger than seven? And they're like, yeah, preschoolers. What about a book for preschoolers? And I'm like, what? I remember the first time a mom asked that after I taught a class and she comes up and she says, do you have a book like for preschoolers? And it felt like someone just sucker punched me, you know? And I'm like, what? But then you look around, you see every three-year-old on an iPad And I very quickly realized that this was a need. So that's when I wrote uh, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, Junior. So those two books um, have both been number one bestsellers on Amazon and uh, just continue to, you know, grow. uh, And uh, the reviews and the, I mean, I did not foresee this Sean at all. I I honestly, I was just, I I wrote this book because I felt God asked me to write the book. This has turned into a full-blown mission. This is not about the books anymore. I mean, it is about the books, but there is so much more than the books. Uh, This has turned into a major, major thing. When you were writing the book, did you feel like this was going to become a mission or do you think you'd just get the book done? And okay, No, check. I thought I would just get the book done. Uh, you know, my husband, um, my husband has cancer, actually. He's lived with cancer for years. Oh, my gosh. And I just, uh, it's been in remission, kind of, you know, simmering. But it's, I mean, and, and, and so I thought, you know, I've got to get back to work because, mm. you know, I have no idea how long he'll be around. So um, wow. I'm very blessed. <laughs> yes. Been around for quite a while, but it's one of these things that goes in remission and, and then it can flare up and, you know, so there are better treatments for it now. So that's good. But at the time it was a huge leap of faith for me yeah. to, cause I got a job offer. Cause that was my whole thing. It was like, okay, I'm going to launch my last kid. Then I'm going to go back to work. And, um, you know, prepare for retirement or whatever. When I realized I had to choose between taking this job that I was offered or writing the book, because I, you know, you get started on a project and 
it can easily put on the be put on the back burner if you're not focused on it. Sure. So I turned down the job. I remember it was the same week that our one decent car was like totally, we had to leave it somewhere in Idaho. <laughs> you know, it just, oh, wow. It just fell apart on the way to you know, the transmission or whatever, on the way to bringing my daughter to college. So I had one daughter in college, one on a mission and um, the car dies and I'm going to say no to a job. <laughs> that could have really been really come in handy, made me feel more secure. Sure. And so anyway, again, if you follow what the Lord asks you to do, he will bless you. And, you know, if not with prosperity, he will bless you with a prosperity of spiritual blessings as well. Mm. And so I gave up that job and I went on and published good pictures, bad pictures, I also have a, a website called protectyoungminds.org, and we give away so much free on that. It's just lots of free guides for specific problems and issues like, you know, is your child old enough for a smartphone? And right. you know, what about body safety rules? And, you know, there's all kinds of um, guides on our resources page. Uh, we do a regular blog. Um, and so all of that is funded by the sales of the books. Um, but I feel like that is kind of my, uh, I don't know, my gift of love. You know, it's, it's really, it's really just out there trying to help parents. And really we have readers from all over the world now. Um, I've got the books in so many different languages. Mm. It's in Arabic. It's in Chinese. It's awesome. in Russian and Spanish and German, and it's coming out in Ukrainian. And <laughs> I don't know, I may have missed one or two. But anyway, so it's, um, uh, I'm really happy that that has happened. And then we've also uh, gone on and built a curriculum uh, that right. families can use and teachers can use called Brain Defense, because really it's about defending your child's mind and their brain and so that they can thrive in the digital age and not be, you know, harmed by it, not be overwhelmed and overcome by the negatives of the digital age. So yeah, it's, it's blossomed into a big thing. (laughs) So protectyoungminds.org. I'm just going to tell all parents out there, just go. Um, A lot of parents are embarrassed or shy, or, and, and especially there are parents out there who go, not my Johnny, not my Sally. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. our family. It's somebody else. What message would you give to people who, who would say, nope, it's for sure not my kids? I would say that if you feel that way, your kids are actually more vulnerable. Even good kids. And we have a blog post by a therapist talking about why even good kids get pulled into porn. It, it doesn't, it's an equal opportunity offender, right? It It's, mm. if your child is a biological human, <laughs> uh, they are vulnerable to pornography because pornography exploits the brain, the biolog, the way the brain is wired and it exploits the curiosity of the child. So I get this question 
And that is, well, won't I just make them more curious? You know, you've got two choices. You can cross your fingers, you know, and hope that they won't see porn until the day after you start talking to them about it. (laughs) Or you can be, you know, have the proactive protecting minds plan, which is, you know, let's start these conversations as soon as they have any access to the internet. And um, there's a therapist down in St. George, uh, Jeffrey Ford, who I once called many years ago and said, I keep getting this question. What's the age you should start talking to kids about pornography? He goes, it's not an age. It's when they have access to the internet. And I'm thinking, well, that's like one (laughs) nowadays, you know, two. But I would say three for sure. Um, And that's where Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior comes in, where super gentle, super easy, super comfortable. And uh, if you're uncomfortable, you know, and the books are in libraries too. You can find them there. I would just say just get it and read it yourself Mm. and see what you think. Because if you look at all the comments on Amazon, you'll see that's the one thing they keep saying. This was so easy. This was so comfortable. I didn't know it could be so comfortable. And then after we had this talk, we just had even more trust with our kids and we had a better open, more open conversation with them. Thing is this, parents, um, there's a naivete gap, Sean, and that is parents consistently, and studies show this, study after study, shows that parents consistently underestimate their children's exposure to pornography. One recent um, study done in the UK uh, asked parents, you know, how many of your kids have seen porn? And they're like, oh, maybe 25%. When it was really like 58%, right? Yeah. I mean, they're t- it's like double. Wow. And when you asked about the girls, there it was kind of like, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but it was more like, like mm, they thought maybe, I don't know, 13% or, you know, it was yeah. definitely under 20%. And it happened that the, it was like over 50% of the girls had seen porn. So Mm. there's this naivete gap. Your kids will be safer the more you know, right? Knowledge is power. The more educated you are about this topic, the more safety and protection that you can provide, the better defense that you can provide. And that defense is going to be with those conversations that you have with them. Because no child should face the porn industry alone. No child. And yet they do. But when parents step up and they learn about it and they open these conversations, then their children don't have to face it alone. Mm. Otherwise, they are alone. And they don't do very well on their own against the porn industry. That is powerful. Very powerful. Yeah, and it is. It's an entire industry against the children. And they want them young. They want to hook them young to keep them hooked. Um, There are some, even among Latter-day Saints, there are some people who would go, yeah, but it's just natural curiosity. It's not that big of a deal. They'll get past it. Talk about how dangerous. By the way, I wish our audience could see your face right now. (laughs) (laughs) But I've heard these attitudes. I'm sure you have. Talk about how dangerous pornography is. 
Well, most of us, because we're trying to, you know, be good Latter-day Saints and not go in these places that we shouldn't be going right on the Internet. We just don't understand what pornography has become. Mm. We think we're still thinking it's Playboy. Yeah. Okay. So that's quaint. (laughs) Centerfolds, quaint. You know, that's nothing. Uh, Pornography has become very violent, um, disgusting, incredibly disrespectful uh, of women. It's also, now we know there's so many scientific studies that show how it can become a true addiction. Now, not everybody that's involved in porn or uses it is going to be addicted to it, but there is this, you know, it, it messes with your dopamine and it becomes a super normal stimulus. And when you, your dopamine is all about seeking, right? It's, it's the chemical that drives you to go eat when you're hungry. They've done rat studies where they turn off the dopamine. If you didn't have dopamine, you wouldn't cross the room to go get dinner. Mm. You would just sit in your chair and be hungry. Now, if someone came and said, here's Sean, here's a burger and fries, you'd go, oh, thanks, yum. But you would not have the ability to go seek it, to go Mm. look for it, to go get it. So dopamine is a seeking uh, neurochemical and The thing about pornography now is that there's so very much of it on the internet. You can never, ever see it all. And so the dopamine is is just like you're constantly seeing new things. Hmm. It just feeds into an addiction. It just feeds into an addictive cycle. And then you add, you know, masturbation to that. You add, you know, the sexual arousal to that. Yeah. And now you've got a, a very difficult situation. Add that, add to that, um, using pornography to deal with negative emotions. Mm. So I'm lonely. I got a bad grade on a test. Uh, my parents are fighting, you know, whatever, right? Whatever. Kids, you know, they have a lot of, you know, negative feeling sometimes difficult emotions. I've talked to, to people that they went to porn, porn became their go-to coping mechanism. And you talk to any mission president about this. Yeah. They will tell you that this is a problem, you know, probably, probably the number one reason people get sent home is, is they cannot cope out in the mission field, which is difficult. (laughs) They, they haven't learned healthy coping mechanisms, you know? And so that's the thing is we need to teach our kids healthy coping mechanisms. Mm. We need to teach them to turn away from porn and all the good reasons why we can't just say it's bad. We can't just say it's, you know, whatever. We have to be able to explain why it's bad, why it's harmful, what it can lead to. And um, in, in our in good pictures, bad pictures, especially the older one, we talk a little bit about, I mean, we talk about addiction because that's the most concrete thing you can explain to a child, how the brain works, you know, but we also touch on how pornography shows people being mean to each other and thinking it's fun. 
know, that gets to the violence in pornography. Mm. And um, we talk about how, um, you know, pornography is, um, you know, teaches people to objectify each other. When you can objectify someone, like, you know, you can take a ball and you can kick it down the street. And you're not worried that the ball is going to get hurt. If you turn someone into an object in your mind, you can hurt that person and not be worried about it. And wow. that's the problem with objectification. It's it's dehumanizing and it's a huge problem. All of these things, if we can teach kids to, you know, turn away from pornography, to have really good reasons to do so because they need really persuasive arguments to turn away from pornography. If we can do that, um, then we, then they have a chance. Then they have wow. a chance to make a good choice, right? The odds, are, the odds are against them. I will say the odds are against them. Any kid, no matter what family. And I have, I have seen kids of every level, every, it, it's just, um, like I said, an equal opportunity offender. We right. need to defend our kids from it. Mm, I love it. This is such a great <laughs> mission. And again, if people uh, want to find out more about it, they should go to protectyoungminds.org. There is so much information. Again, the books are called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures and Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior. You've got something for every age. Kristen, your mission is just awesome. And I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. We are going to wrap up with the question that we ask all of our guests. And that is, Kristen, what does being a member of the church mean to you? It means I have a better understanding of who I am and who my heavenly father and mother are and who Jesus Christ is. And I have a a better ability to access their help and grace. And I also have a community that, you know, and that's really important too, just my ward family, right? Um, and, And a sure knowledge that, you know, I will see my son again someday and I will uh, be with him. And so I think it just helps me every single day to know that um, I'm not alone and I can get revelation and inspiration every day for, you know, for the things that I need. I've always been thankful for the temple. There was a time when um, I was sitting in the temple feeling pretty discouraged about everything. Uh, And I asked the Lord if I could be done with this. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, and um, I asked, you know, I was praying and I I just looked up and the um, woman next to me, as soon as I put my head up, she just tapped me on the shoulder and she said, thank you for everything you're doing, for all you do. I looked at her like, what? She goes, you know, your books and your website. I'm like, (laughs) oh my gosh. Um, And I realized that that was my answer. That was my answer. Like, Mm. like she didn't know what I was going through. She did not know how discouraged I felt at that moment. And um, 
Heavenly Father's there. He's there. He's rooting us on. He's helping us. He'll give us a little bit. He'll get us to the through one more day. So anyway, I love the church. It's a sense of community and just see so many blessings from it. So I'm all in. I'm all in. Beautiful answer. (laughs) The books are called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. The website is protectyoungminds.org. She is an author, a mother, a wife, now a grandmother, and a crusader out there in the world doing so much good, protecting our young minds. Uh, Kristen Jensen, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Sean. And my special thanks to my new friend, Kristen Jensen. I'm just in awe of Kristen and the work that she is doing. Please go support her. Uh, Check out her website, uh, subscribe, and uh, buy her books. She is an amazing soul. Kristen, thank you so much. Uh, This week in my Latter-day Life, this conversation with Kristen reminded me of a, a really fun conversation that I had a few years ago. And it might sound funny, stick with me, because it doesn't sound fun at first, but I was at a corporate event, it was a trade show type of event, and I was sitting at a table with some other vendors, they were guys I did not know, but they were sitting there and they had been drinking quite a bit, and I was sitting having some food and we were talking and at first the conversation was fine. And then a young lady walked by and uh, she was an attractive, wonderful young lady, she's someone I know. And one of the guys made an absolutely vulgar comment about that young lady. And then the other guys started to pile on and chime in, making really, truly appalling comments that, by the way, in a a move of cowardice, they never would have said it to her face. But with each other and, hey, we're among the boys or whatever it was, they felt comfortable saying these vulgar things. And normally that's when I would just get up and walk away. It's just not my place. But I was so upset about it. But also, I didn't really know these guys, and I didn't care what they thought of me. So I decided to kind of have fun. And as they're saying these truly revolting things about this young woman who was just there working, uh, I looked at them and said, so, do any of you guys have daughters? (laughs) And it got so quiet, you could have heard a pin drop. And I just looked at all of them, smiling. And one of the guys kind of said, yeah, I've, I've got, you know, three kids, two are daughters. And another guy said, yeah, I have a daughter. I said, awesome. Tell me about your daughters. And they looked at me confused and they talked about their daughters. Yeah, they're 10 or 15 or whatever and kind of told me about them. I said, oh, that's awesome. Well, then the conversation continued and we were talking about whatever things. And then somebody made another vulgar comment about this other, you know, about this young lady and And I looked at everybody and said, hey, how many of you guys are married? I'm married. Tell me about your wives. (laughs) You could just tell. They did not want to have these types of conversations, but they told me about their wives or whatever. And then I talked about this uh, young lady that they were objectifying. And I said, do you guys know her? She is awesome. You know, I've known her for a while. I've worked with her at this company. She's great. You know, I'll bet her parents love her. I'll bet she has a grandmother. Do you guys have grandmothers? Are your grandmothers still alive? And I just kept bringing up these things about family. And deep down, I was dying because these guys got so uncomfortable. It was hilarious. 
And one by one, they slowly got up and walked away, and our conversation was over. And I, I really had fun with it. And I don't know if I should have had fun, but it was hilarious. It was really fun. And you know, sometimes we can combat the bad with the good. People know when they're being creeps. They know it. They know it deep down. And if talking about the good makes them uncomfortable, then so be it, because uh, it was totally inappropriate. I loved it when Kristen said that we, the porn industry objectifies people because once it's an object, once the person is an object, well, then what we do to that person doesn't really matter. They're just an object. And I'm so grateful for our knowledge of our role as children of God. I'm grateful for my daughters and my wife and my mom. And I'm grateful for the awesome young women in our ward and for our young men and uh, just people in my lives. They are people. They are not objects. And everyone we want to objectify, no, they are people also. They are children of God. They have moms. They have dads and sisters and brothers. And we would never do that to someone we know and love. We would never objectify them that way. Why are we comfortable doing it to a different child of God? We need to stand up for what is right. And it's why I love Kristen's mission. Porn is insidious. It is so dangerous. It is a scourge right now. And we need to stand up to it and do the good. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We really appreciate it. If you know anyone who might enjoy this content, our numbers are just growing so fast. We're so grateful when you share this show with other people. And I think especially if there are certain episodes, like if you know someone who has children who you might be worried about as far as pornography goes, this would be a great conversation for them to hear. We would love to have you share these messages with them. If you want to reach out to me, I can be reached at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. Also, don't forget we're on Facebook as well as Instagram. We'd love to visit with you there. Well, I think that's about all we've got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening.